At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. All right, this morning, if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. And while you turn there, you know, one of the things that um, I loved doing when I was a kid is I would get the paper and in the morning, I'd get the morning paper and I'd go to the funny section, you know, the part that has the comics. And I would love eating my cereal in the morning and looking at the comics and, and reading all of that. And one of my favorite comics uh, was the Peanuts one, right, with Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus and all of them. And uh, two of my favorite characters in those comics were Lucy and Charlie Brown. Now, if you know anything about this, some of, the, some of you kids are like, I don't know, have any idea who these people are. That's fine. Um, but the older people, we, we know who they are. They're like a, a part of our childhood, right? That uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy. And I love them because they show us the dynamics of friendship, right? The, these, these two had a really kind of strange love-hate relationship, right? Lucy sometimes would bully Charlie by calling him a blockhead. Remember that? And uh, they would have this thing that they, they would reoccur over and over again. Go on to the next slide. This is a famous, you guys remember this? Right, where Lucy, where Charlie would say, hey, Lucy, hold the ball so I could kick it. And so he'd get ready to do it. And right at the last minute, she snatched the ball up and he'd fall on his back. And it didn't just happen. This one time, this was a reoccurring thing, right? And what always amazed me about that is we see in just that story, like lies and deception but also forgiveness. Well, also, maybe he wasn't so wise because Charlie kept giving Lucy the opportunity to hold the ball for him, hoping at some point she would ever allow him to actually kick it. And so we see in there this friendships that sometimes, even in our worldly friendships, we know that friendships can be difficult to navigate. Right? We, there's an amount of trust that we give and there's an amount of trust that, that we receive and yet sometimes our trust is is. Uh, faulted and sometimes we are let down and not only do we have to see that in a comic relationship we know that in our own lives the difficulty the difficulty of navigating friendships and relationships where we sift through love and betrayal and broken promises and it's not as though life is easy Right? We don't have to be in a relationship very long to know that a, a difficulty is going to come. Right? Have you ever had a relationship that, was, that had never had any conflict? You, you might, but you don't really know the person. Right? If you keep people at a distance, then you're never going to have conflict. But the closer you move people closer to your heart and closer to your life, the more and more conflict that you're going to have. And sometimes in life, that can cause us, because we don't want to step into that pain, we don't want to step in that mess, it can cause us to keep people at a distance. Right? We can do it in our marriages, we can do it with our kids, we can do it with our parents, we can do it with our coworkers. And if we live our lives like this, then we're missing out on the great opportunity of relationships. But sometimes in life, when we, when we try to navigate family relationships and everything, and we know the difficulties of, of it, sometimes it can get us to the point of asking the question, why bother? 
Why even bother with relationships? Because we know they're going to lead to pain. It's going to lead to difficulty. And so last week we began a series taking a look at the book of Genesis. And we're going to walk through for several weeks. We're taking a look at God's design for family. We're looking at God's design for relationships. We're looking at God's design and all of those things. How he has created us to have fellowship. He has created us for community. So God creates us as beings that need relationships. We need each other, but yet sometimes because of dysfunction and because of sin, sin has entered in and has messed with God's design. And so now we live in this world where we feel the dysfunction of life. But yet God has still made a way for us to live in community. And so today what we're going to see as we look at Genesis chapter 3 is this simple truth, is that we were made for community, but sin separates us. We were made for community, but yet sin separates us. And today we're gonna look, as we walk through this account, we're gonna look at Adam and Eve and their relationship, not only their relationship with each other, but their relationship with God. And if we go back to the beginning of Genesis, we start in Genesis chapter one, and we learn this very simple truth that God rules. Right, we get to Genesis chapter one. These, for the kids that are in here, you, these are familiar to you. As we walk through these on a weekly basis, we begin with the understanding that God rules. We see this in Genesis chapter one. God is creating things out of nothing. God begins and he speaks the universe into existence. So that which wasn't there, God gives form to, he gives shapes to, he gives order to. And so God is creating all of these things. And in Genesis chapter one, we see that God declares after everything has been created, as the heavens are filled and the earth is filled, God declares that it is very good. Creation is very good And then we go into chapter two and from creation, now we go into a a more deeper view into what's going on inside of this garden, this place of creation where God has set man. And we see that God has made Adam to, to rule and Adam to name all the animals. And as Adam is caring for creation, we first see the very first thing in creation that is not good And we see it in chapter two, beginning in verse 18. And it says, and then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. This is the first thing that's not good. In all of creation, it's not good for us to be alone. God has not designed us to live in isolation. God has not designed us to live apart from others, but God has called us and designed us to live in community. So how does God remedy this not good situation? Well, he puts Adam to sleep. A deep sleep. He causes a sleep to come over Adam. And so as Adam is laying there, this creative, creating God takes a rib out of his side and from that creates Eve and gives Eve to Adam as a gift. And this is how um, Adam responds after he sees Eve, after he wakes from his sleep. He says this, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. This is deeply poetic language as, as, as Adam is considering the gift that God has given him in woman, in Eve. That she is different than any other created being because she's not, she was not from without him, but from within him. 
bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And we see in this instant what God is doing is he's creating this this beautiful love, committed marriage relationship. That woman was made from man and man for each other. They now have this ability for deep intimacy and deep connection because they are not other of each other, but they are from one another. And this is what we see is this commitment and love as it enters into this relationship. Verses 24 and 25 of chapter 2 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So we see instantly this marriage takes place, this new marriage, this gift, and we see this new family. Part of God's design is that we are raised up in our families. Our parents raise us, and then they raise us to the point of where we leave them, and we leave that relationship in in that, that sense to be joined into a deeper relationship. The most intimate relationship you can have in this world is not to be parent-child. It's not to be sibling. The deepest relationship that we're supposed to have is that between husband and wife. As God is creating, this is the, the greatest gift that he gives us where you have two individual people that are different. They come from two different families where they're joined together to form one flesh This is a gift. So the marriage relationship should trump all other relationships in in our lives. That's why my kids don't understand when I tell them, I I love you, but I love your mom more. They just don't get it. They're like, wait, dad, how how can, you, you don't love me? No, I love you. I love you, but I love your mom in a different kind of way, a deeper kind of way, because she is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She is one with me. What amazing gift that God gives us. This was God's design. We were made for community. We were made to need others. And it's a beautiful gift. But it's almost like, look, you get there, we get to, look, you gotta go to your Bible. You gotta just see this with me, okay? Like chapter two, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Okay, like this is the picture, the pinnacle of like creation. God has made man and woman. He's given them the gift of marriage and now they're together. And now we see man and woman, they're naked, right? They're completely vulnerable before each other. There's nothing to hide. There's no distance. There's, there's nothing blocking them. And they were both naked and they were not ashamed. There was no shame in their nakedness. There was no shame in their marriage. There was no shame in their relationship. And then we go to like, like the very next verse. Now, everything's broken. Everything breaks. And I have no idea how much time in creation goes from verse 25 to verse one, but I have to, have to believe it's like quick. Because as soon as God makes something good, Man destroys that which God makes, which is good. And for the kids in the room, I want to bring you up to speed on what's taking place here. Let's watch this quick video, which tells us how quickly, when sin enters into the world, that relationship got broken. Stories of the Bible. Adam and Eve sin. This is Adam. Hey. 
And this is Eve, Hi. who were the first people on Earth. They lived in the Garden of Eden, which was a beautiful place that had everything they needed. Adam and Eve took care of the animals and could eat from any of the trees in the garden, except for one. This was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God told them not to eat from this tree. There were lots of animals in the garden, but the serpent was the most clever of all the wild animals God had made. Hmm. One day, he asked the woman, Hey, Eve! Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of these trees in the garden? <laughs> no! Eve said that they were able to eat from all of the fruit trees except the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. For God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. No, that can't be. You won't die, said the serpent. God knows that as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. <gasps> the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to Adam, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened. Oh, no! And they suddenly realized they weren't wearing clothes and were embarrassed. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, Adam and Eve heard God walking about in the garden. Hi! So they hid from God among the trees. Then God called to Adam, where are you? Adam said, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? God asked. Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? Adam said, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then God asked Eve, What have you done? The serpent tricked me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then God punished the serpent by making it so he would crawl on his belly from then on. He told Eve that she would have great pain in her life. Then God said to Adam that because he listened to Eve and did not obey what God had told him to do, his life would be very difficult. He would have to work hard to get food to eat, God said, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then God made them clothing from the animals. But God knew that Adam and Eve could no longer live in the garden because of their sin. So he sent them away and closed up the garden. So we see as soon as sin enters in the world, it separates us. It separates us from God and separates us from each other. And it messes with God's design for community. For community. But God in his, of himself has always made a provision for our sin and made a provision for our mistakes. And so today as we look through this passage, I want us to learn three ways that we are to, uh, that God has provided for us to overcome this need for reconciliation. 
that God has brought us back to himself and brought us back to each other. And it's when we understand these three truths today that we're able to finally be able to be made right with God and have reconciliation in our human relationships. So the first truth I want us to see from this passage is that if we hope to have reconciliation, we must first listen to the truth of God's voice. Listen to the truth of God's voice. This passage starts off in verse one. It says, now the serpent, and the serpent in this case is, is Satan, uh, and, and he has entered into uh, the created order to make mess of everything. And so he enters in to all that God has made, and he begins speaking to the woman. And this is what Satan does, and he does it the same way he does it in the garden. He does it in our own lives today. He gets us to begin to question the goodness of God begins to have us question the character of God. And when he begins to set us up against God, that's when we fall into place. And that's when we fall into problems. And we see here, too, lies that Satan wants us to believe. He wanted Eve to believe it and wants us to believe it as well. The first lie that Satan wants us to believe that gets us off course is the lie that what God has given me is not enough. Look at, look at his words. He comes to the woman in a crafty way and he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the trees in the garden? This is different. We gotta understand that his approach here, what God has given you is not enough. It's Satan comes to Eve with prohibitive language, right? Not freedom language, but prohibitive language. God comes to Adam and says, you guys may eat of any tree in the garden. So much freedom, you can eat of that tree and that tree and that tree and that tree and that tree. And you can eat of all of those trees, except for the one. Don't eat of this one. For when you do, you will die. See, the freedom. But Satan comes and says, what God has given you is not enough. You shall not eat of any of the trees. Right, this prohibitive language. And so he comes and wants her to believe that what God has given is not enough, as though, God, there's some goodness out there or there's, God hasn't given you enough. But then look how the woman responds. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So she corrects him, saying, not prohibited, but we have the freedom to eat of all of the trees in the garden, but you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So we see here that Eve has added another layer of prohibition, right? She's prohibited from touching it, which is not what God said. They could touch the tree all they wanted. They just couldn't eat of the fruit of the tree. And so we see, we begin to see that she's even beginning to question the goodness of God because God is prohibiting us from even touching it. And so he must not be good. or What he's given us must not be Enough, And so then we see the serpent luring the woman in, sowing deeper uh, seeds of doubt. For then says, well, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the second lie that Satan tries to have us believe, is that what God has given us is not good. You see, Satan wanted Eve to believe that God was withholding some goodness from her. That, this, that God has this knowledge of good and evil and that's a good thing that he's withholding so God is not good because he's withholding good from you. And that's what caused Eve to give herself over when she saw that God had done something. He was withholding something good. 
And so she sees the, the fruit. She eats of it because it desires to make her wise. And so she eats of it. And by doing that, sin enters into the world. And not only does she keep it to herself, but she also gives it to Adam. And Adam partakes of the fruit as well. And so going back to our gospel icons, we see the progression of it. God rules. God sets the rules. God has, has set out creation. And he says, your desire, your design is to be in relationship with me. And there is some things that you there's one thing that you shouldn't do, and as soon as that one thing happens, sin entered into the world, and we all, like Adam and Eve, have sinned. We've all done evil in the sight of God. We, we know God's rules, we know God's standards, and we have rejected it. But God is always loving, and God has always knows our sin, and God provides God provides a provision to cover our sin. And we go to the New Testament. We have to go back to the New Testament or go to the New Testament. And we see when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus is, when he begins his earthly ministry, before he steps into that ministry, we know he goes out into the wilderness for a time of testing. And it's almost as though we see this beginning of, of, of the, the Genesis account again in the New Testament where God, who becomes flesh, so God comes in the form of Jesus, who's fully God and fully man. He comes to live this on this earth. And as he begins his ministry, teaching people about the word of God, he goes into his time of the wilderness, where he's away from his family. He's away from his friends. He's away from everything that's familiar. And Satan shows up again. And Satan begins to tempt him. He begins with his, his human needs. Uh, Jesus fasted during this time and Jesus was hungry. And so Satan comes to him and he says, you're hungry. Why don't you take, tell these stones to turn into bread so that you may eat? And it's like all of time and history is on the edge of its seat. Because if Jesus gives in and if the, the, the craftiness of the serpent is able to tempt him enough, then all hope is lost. And so creation stands on its edge waiting to see what Jesus does. And what does Jesus do? He fights back with the truth of God. Man does not live on food, bread alone but by the word of God. And so he fights back against that temptation with the truth of God because Jesus listens to the word of God, the truth of God, believed the truth of God and walked it out in his faith. And so he begins to restore what was broken in the garden, that there is possibility that someone could come and to save us from this curse of sin. So then Jesus was tempted again. And then Jesus was tempted again with power and prestige and in all of this positions and all of this. And yet Jesus stood in the face of Satan and did not fail. He fought the word, with the words of God, the truth of God against the snares of Satan. So we see we have the benefit of living on this side of the cross knowing that Jesus was the one sent from God to fix the curse of sin that took place in the garden. It's so important that we understand this truth in our own lives. If we ever hope to have reconciliation in our human relationships, we must first have, or have reconciliation with the God of the universe because we have sinned against him. 
And God has given us his truth so that we may know him. He's given us his word so that we could sift through the challenges of life and navigate through these dangerous waters. And for us as his children, we need to make his word a primary place in our lives. For we see this is what Jesus did every single day. Jesus placed himself under submission to the will and to the words of the Father. And as his children, we hope to live in peace. We too must live under the words and the truth of God's word. Second, I want us to see is that we are to set aside false ways of defending yourself. Look at what happens immediately after they sin. We, we can say, I'm gonna read through this passage, but I want you to see as we read through it that the dangers and the distance that created, not only in Adam and Eve's relationship with each other, but their relationship with the God of the universe. Let's look in verse seven. It says, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Look immediately what takes place after sin enters into the world is that their eyes were opened and immediately their relationship, their oneness together was destroyed. Shame enters into the world. And how do they respond to that shame? Where there once was intimacy, now there's shame. They try to cover themselves. They, they create, they immediately institute barriers between the, that marriage relationship. They try to hide from one another. And then not only do they try to hide from one another, they try to hide from God. God who, who loved them and created them in his image as their special children, they hide from him. And instead of bringing their sin directly to the Lord, they, they hide from him. And God shows up. And we see the beginning of what we know in our own lives of trying to defend ourselves, trying to pass blame. Instead of taking responsibility for our own sin, we see that we, we enter into passing the blame. Now, I want to, want to remind you what's really taking place here, which is absolutely devastating. Remember, the, the, the command to not eat of the tree was given to Adam before Eve was even created. Adam knew the word of God. Adam knew what was required. And Adam, being the leader of his family, as he's in there in the garden, right? They're there together by the tree. The serpent comes in. And the serpent doesn't go to Adam. The serpent comes to Eve. See, Adam should have, as being the leader of his home, being the man of the home, should have seen what was going on and should have stepped in. He should have said, no, sorry, sorry, you can't listen to this. This is, this is all garbage. We need to listen to the word of God. But instead of having his eyes to see that his wife was being tempted, Adam sits by quietly and does nothing. He abdicates his responsibility 
to be the leader of his home and allows his wife to be tempted without stepping in. This is very dangerous. Husbands, we need to be reminded of our responsibility. Satan is coming to seeking to devour our families. And we need to be the ones on the watch. We need to be the ones on the fence looking out, making sure who's seeking to try to devour our kids. Who's trying to step in the way of our marriage. How is your wife being tested? How is she being tempted? And we should be stepping in saying, no. No, it's my responsibility to step in and say, not today. But instead, Adam doesn't do that. Adam doesn't step in and and protect his family. He knows the word of God and yet doesn't protect his family, allows his wife to be deceived and he kind of steps back and then she eats and then he eats and then God comes and says to him, what have you done? And look at what Adam does. He does this thing that we, we see happening in every stage of our life. He blames his wife. God, what you've given me is not good. She's to be punished. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm good. But she messed up. And if you wouldn't have given her to me, then I never would have done this. And then she, or then God comes to her and says, what have you done, Eve? And Eve turns to the serpent and says, God, that which you've created, these animals and all of this thing is not good. It's your fault, God, because of this serpent. So we see this name blame game happening where people aren't taking responsibility for their own sin and their own lives. We see it showing up and that happens in our lives today. I remember as a kid growing up, my mom cared for us in in a mighty way. She was like, the lunch mom, right? Like in my home, there was a special part of the cupboard for snacks for lunch, okay? Like the oatmeal pies and the Swiss rolls and the Twinkies and we didn't live healthy lives as kids. We we just, my mom loved us. But my mom was so exact that we had this, the snack, the snack part of our cupboard, okay? And those snacks were counted and those snacks were cared for because my mom wanted to make sure that we had at least one snack with all of our meals for lunch at school. And so she was so exacting, she was so loving, she was so caring until mom examined the snack part of the cupboard and one was missing. Yeah, you know, you, you, those that grew up, you know. So what my mom would do is she'd get, she'd gather all seven kids together and she'd be like, who ate the snack? Not me, not me. And not all around the table, she would go around. She'd like, and it'd be not me, not me, not me, not me. If we had another kid, it probably would be named not me. We didn't. We passed the blame. We're like, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. Someone at the table had to eat it. We didn't have a snack monster living in our house that would crawl out of the, 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 the crevices of, under the bed to go to the cupboard to grab the snack. One of us ate it. And so she would go around the room and then we begin to have our own defense and we'd begin to point the fingers. As, well, I saw him go and get it. And I saw her going to get it. And we would always pass the blame. Something that's like innate in us as people. We don't want to take responsibility for what we did. And sometimes, sometimes someone would step up and say, I ate it. And then they'd get the spanking or whatever. But then there were some times that one of my brothers and sisters were so evil. So, like, so evil that they would stay silent even though they knew they were the eaters of the snacks. And then we'd all get a spanking. 
And you know, I look back on that now and I'm like, you know what, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, that was unfair. But I know there are a lot of things that I got caught for and I got, I got uh, corrected for, but there were a lot of things that I did that I didn't get corrected for, and so those extra whoopings were probably worth it. <laughs> but you know, that's innate in us, right? We do the wrong, and we want to make up every kind of, of, of excuse that we can. We want to pass the blame to someone else. It wasn't me. It's not my fault. I, I sin now because of my parents. My parents brought me up this way and so that. Or we, I'm born this way and so I can sin however I want to. No, no, no. We are all sinners. Okay? You're a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Inside of me is a great capacity to sin. Right? I have this enormous capacity to do evil in my life. You have an enormous capacity. And what is unique about you is that you have a sin nature that is your sin nature. There are ways in which you're tempted. Maybe I'm not tempted in the same way, but you have a sin nature that as you walk through this life, there are certain things that Satan wants to trip you up for you to believe that God's not good and he's not enough. And so when we try to wrestle with that, what happens is we want to blame everything else. We want to blame our parents because they raised us in the wrong way. We want to blame our boss and we want to blame this and we want to blame that. And you cannot come to faith in God. You cannot have reconciliation with God. You cannot have reconciliation in human, human relationships until you take responsibility for your own sin. I did the crime. I'm the one that's guilty for what I've done. You have no hope of salvation until you can get to that point in your life. Stop defending yourself. Stop blaming other people and take responsibility for yourself. When we look at this today and we see taking responsibility for our own sin and not uh, defending ourselves gives us the opportunity for God to step in. And God always steps in. God wants us to bring our sin and our shame and our pain before him and say, God, look, this is the mess I made. And God says, okay, I can deal with that. He, he can't deal with our sin when we're hiding it away. When we're blaming someone else or doing something else, we can only begin to deal with it when we bring it before him. And this is exactly what he did in his grace. He goes to Adam and Eve and he calls them out. He wants to bring to light that which was done in darkness, in deception. And he wants to bring it out so that he can deal with it. And that's the third thing I want us to see today is that we need to receive the gracious provision of God. Look in verse 21. It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife a garment of skin and clothed them. Now, I don't want us to gloss over that. In that simple verse is amazing provisions for God, from God. Right? God provided for them in their need. We see that they sinned. They saw that they were naked and there was a shame. And so what did they do? With their own strength, their own power and their own abilities, they began to try and cover their sin. But look at the limited nature of their abilities. They created their clothes out of fig leaves. Like that's not a really durable material, right? Like, like imagine climbing a tree with fig leaves as clothes. What's gonna happen? 
you're going to rip them apart. Or imagine you're, you're farming and you got these fig leaves and the fig leaves dry out and then they crack and you constantly need new fig leaves to con- continually cover your nakedness. What does God do? God knows what's better. And so he makes for them garments of skin to clothe them. He gives us what we need in the right way. But here's the sad thing about that. Yes, he gave them durable clothing. But in order to cover their sin and their shame, something had to die. That animal that gave its life so that they could have the skin to clothe them from their nakedness had to give it up its life. Now, I'm so thankful that even in the garden, that God is pointing to the provision that he would send for us in his son, right? Something has to die to pay for sin. If we go back to our gospel icons, we can see God rules, right? God's in charge. We sin. God provided through sending his son. Jesus came to listen to the words of God, but also to go to a cross where the sin of the world would be paid. So Jesus gave his life so that we could be clothed in his righteousness, so that everything that was lost in the fall could be redeemed. And so Jesus gives us this opportunity. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that it's not of yourself. It's not a gift of works so that no one should boast, but it's a gift of God. And so we come to this moment where we look at the work of Jesus on the cross, see that it was a free gift that was given to us, and then we need to come to the place of responding. We respond through faith, where we trust in the work of God, not in the work of ourselves, but in the work of God. And Jesus gives us, we respond through belief, and then we have the opportunity to experience true salvation. And I hope you're here today and you've come to the place of trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. He fixes us. He heals us. He gives us the opportunity to finally experience reconciliation between a holy God. But then he also gives us the opportunity to experience reconciliation in our human relationships. He has the ability to heal marriages. He has the ability to restore friendships. He has the ability to do all of those things if we let him. So today, I want, to, I want to just say something real quickly to the young people that are here. I want to remind you of the importance of choosing your spouse. It is super, so many people today want to make that decision so nonchalantly and they just want to say, okay, well, well, I'll get married in this relationship and then when it gets hard, it gets difficult, then I'll move on to the next one and I'll go move on to the next one. And you have people that get in this perpetual habit of, of going from relationship to relationship to relationship. That is not God's design. It is not God's design because the marriage relationship is the closest human relationship you can experience this side of heaven. And God has designed for one man and one woman to be married so that their souls can mingle together. And if you go about mingling your souls with other people through being married multiple times, what you're doing is you're damaging your relationship and your ability to be intimate with the one whom God has created for you. This is a paramount decision. Do not enter into a marriage relationship lightly. Especially do not enter into a marriage relationship if you're a believer with an unbeliever because you're, you're mixing things together that don't need mixing together. 
And it's only gonna bring about pain and shame and difficulties in your life. I mean, it's hard enough to be married to a Christian. I know, my wife's married to me. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult enough, right? Marriage is hard. And you can't make this work unless God is at the center of the marriage. So I encourage you young people to do that. Maybe you're here today and you, you've walked through life and marriage has been hard and, and you find yourself not, not married today. Know that God has grace. Know that there's grace. Know that God still loves you and God still provides for you. But if you're outside of God's design, like quickly move towards it. Honor the marriage relationship because that honors the Lord. And I know there's so many other stories in here that we can't cover right now, but just know, seek to honor by God's design, but know that there is grace. So today, when we come to how do we respond to this passage, I wanna remind you that there is a possibility of real reconciliation, but it begins by us bowing our knees before Jesus. That's the first spot. And then once we bow our knee before Jesus and we're made right before God, then we have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to be reconciled to others. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning and we are reminded that we live in a completely broken world because of sin. Sin has messed everything up. Sin has messed up our work Sin has messed up our worship. Sin has messed up our relationship. Sin has totally defamed everything of your creation. And yet, God, you're still good in the midst of that. So though we look at this world and it might cause us to question your goodness, we must be reminded that sin and the curse is what's messed everything up and that you provide an opportunity for us to be made right. So Father, we, th we thank you this morning for Jesus. We thank you that he willingly came to die in our place. May we truly trust in him for salvation and for healing. So Father, if there's someone here that doesn't yet know you, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Father, I pray that you would also remind us that your design is good. And even though sometimes it doesn't feel good, let us be reminded that it is right to stand out and hold out for your design. For when we walk in your design, that's when we find peace. That's when we find your presence and that's when we find joy. So Father, today, if we find there's someone here that finds themselves outside of your design father may they through your power and through your grace move quickly to be inside of their your design but father i also pray for the young people here i know they're growing up in a world that's teaching them a whole bunch of lies lies about their own identity lies about whom they're supposed to be and how love is supposed to look and all of that other stuff. And I pray, God, that you would ground this young generation in your words of truth. Help them know what your design is and give them the power to withhold the, the, your truth above the lies of this world. But Father, in all ways and in any way today, I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts and help us to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.